Cisco ICE Authentication Design with Andy Richter, Episode 29. Hey friends, nerds, geeks, and Zigbits out there, Ziglets out there. This is uh, another episode of the Zigbits Network Design Podcast, where Zigabytes are faster than gigabytes. As always, we strive to provide real-world context around technology. I'm Michael Ziga, also known as Zig in this community, and I'm your host. Today, I am recording an episode at Cisco Live US 2018 with my good friend, Andy Richter. Um, and today's episode is all about Cisco ICE authentication design. Um, so I'd like to introduce Andy Richter to the, to the podcasting kind of forum. He's a great guy. Um, we, we introduced or we met ourselves, uh, uh, what, like five years ago. Yeah. Um, we worked together. Uh, we did a lot of, well, we did a nice deployment together um, and really just a great around guy on the security side. So welcome to the podcast, Andy. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me, Zig. Really looking forward to uh, to talking about ice design today. It's great to be on the pod. Yeah, yeah, totally. I, I, uh, I've been looking forward to this. Um, you mentioned it the other day and um, I've been wanting to do a Cisco ice focused podcast for a long time, episode kind of design as a whole. So really looking forward to get into some stuff. We have a, a whole list of topics that we're going to try to cover. Uh, we're not going to cover some of the basic stuff that, that most people kind of have on blogs today. So, you know, we might we may not cover everything that you want to hear, but we're going to definitely cover some of the, the more kind of design-focused items that we have in our, our kind of outline today. So, well, you want to just kind of kick it off and go? Sure. Yeah. So, um, I do a significant number of ICE deployments. And the, the, the way I always start out doing these installations with customers is, um, yeah, figuring out the value of ice getting into an environment and, um, uh, what you can then do with it to provide you things like visibility and enforcement and the, and, and really knowing what's happening on your network from a device exactly. and user endpoint perspective. So we, we, in many, I go to a lot of customers. And they've had for a long time, like the Microsoft NPS style yes, radius yes. server. So you have a good idea of who the user is that happens to be out there. And, and most typically they're using, you know, PEEP and MS chat authentication. Yeah. So you, you have no visibility into really what their, what the device is beyond who they are. And then they kind of say, well, we need to get a better handle on both what these things are and then what they're allowed to do and enforce it, enforce policy on them so that they can do their work in a transparent way um, that the user doesn't know they're necessarily getting an enforcement action yeah, yeah. put on them. So, um, so I mean, um, sorry to cut you off there. Please. Um, so you said a couple of things. You said visibility. Yes. And then also... Um, Authentication, yes, and then also uh, enforcement action, yes. So those are the three huge things within ICE. Um, I, before we go down those rabbit holes, I mean, how many how many ICE deployments do you think you've done over the oh, last you know uh, five to seven years? Dozens, dozens. Yeah, yeah I've yeah. done I've done dozens. I um so uh you know I work in a security practice at Presidio Network Solutions, and we've done uh many dozens of ICE implementations. Uh, I'm uh, the principal author of a book about ICE, and we spend a ton of time doing it. So we like, we've got a broad uh yeah. we've got a broad de- a deployment experience in our practice deploying yeah. Cisco ISC. Yeah, totally. So just FYI for everyone that's listening, um, Andy's book's amazing. I've read it. <laughs> I've, I've referenced his book, and I will put it in the show notes for today's podcast. I'll I appreciate. Link. So I appreciate you lying and saying it was a good no, book. No, it, it, it is, man. It's a great book. So, so, um, so you know, one of the questions that I sort of work with customers to figure out is, um, you know, they they say well, we don't know what's on our network. So what we do is we say, okay, we take your existing radio server and let's put ICE in as a replacement for it. And ICE has a functionality in it called profiling. So. 
Uh, what the profiler does is it, it, it helps you figure out what an endpoint is based on how it behaves. So ICE takes a lot of data about the endpoint. So it would be the OUI of the device, um, data about how it asks for an IP address on the wireless side. Uh, and if we can get browser information from it a few different ways, like the WebKit and user agents. And if you have a device that... Um, uh, is an Apple OUI. It has yeah. an Apple WebKit and asks for an IP address like an iPhone. It's like a pretty good bet that the thing is an iPhone. Exactly. And then if you take that data and say, now we know Zig at Cisco.com <laughs> is authenticating the network and he's using an iPhone and we say, is is it appropriate in our policy to allow Zig to come in with, <laughs> with his iPhone? And then how would we apply policy based on that, right? What kind of access does his iPhone need versus access we would want to give his corporate laptop? And then on, on the wired side, they kind of get a little in the weeds early and we'll take a step back in a second, I think, Zig, is that if you, when you do a, uh, authentication action on the wired side, you can gr get a lot of that same profiling data to figure out what is on your network where you otherwise today don't have a lot of visibility. Again, you don't have to take an enforcement action when you turn on authentication. Okay. You, the enforcement action could be permit any, so, you, so everything still gets on the network, but you'll have a broad level of visibility into the kinds of things that are on your network existing today that you otherwise may not necessarily have. So Exactly. So like let's so you can um, get visibility of your devices, get visibility of who's using which devices. Um, and you don't need to enforce anything day one. Correct. You don't even need to do authentication theoretically day one. You can just have some sort of ability of knowing these guys are using these devices or these ladies are using these devices yes. in, the, in, in this network of ours. And hey, I didn't know there's Roku devices in my network. I didn't know that there was, you know, this Xbox over here or, yes. or even more, more, more pointedly, you know, this critical server that's behind someone's desk plugged into a port no one knows about. I didn't know that was there. Now I have a visibility that it's there yeah i most commonly describe this as as, as the iphone problem people <laughs> just don't know how many iphones there are in that network gotcha. so but you're, you're exactly right in characterizing it that way that it's it's in whatever medium these things are connecting to you just don't have the visibility otherwise to figure out how broadly th these kind of shadow it unsanctioned devices yep. might be out there yeah, right exactly without exactly. starting to look for them yep. and this is the tool you can use to start looking for them so Awesome, awesome. Um, so I have a question, and we may not have gone over this in the, the pre-brief, so or the uh, pre-recording stuff. So it might be kind of on the spot, <laughs> cool. like always. Um, so obviously visibility and authentication and whatnot. So I'm going to jump just real quick question. Um, how do you determine what access someone should get and what they shouldn't get? So determining levels of access. Um, is one of the harder things to do. Yeah. Because, you know, ICE is a tool and I can carve things up all different ways. Figuring out what people actually need access to, um, you know, depends on a few things. One, how granular the customer wants to get with that level yes. of access. Um, and what tools do we have to determine um, what things that they happen to be doing that may not be obvious based on their job description. Exactly. Right. So people will often wear lots of different hats in the, in the company. They might be just, you know, you know, a, a, a normal sort of office admin job. But we say, oh, they don't need access to critical servers. But maybe they're actually running a report for the engineering manager and they do need access to these critical servers. It may not be necessarily obvious. So what, what I typically do um, when I start with customers to carve up the level of access that people need 
um, is I really like to, to do things in broad strokes and what is obvious. Because um, if, I, if I look at a device and I say, this IoT device only ever phones home, something like maybe a Nest, right? Yep, you yep. know, um, Or uh, a gaming console that has no business connecting to anything in the, uh, in the inside. Well, you can easily write access policy that says, you know, deny access to all RFC 19, exactly. 19 and then permit access to the internet. Well, you've just protected you know, all of your private IP address space on the inside from whatever this thing happens to be doing. Or in the reverse, First, you say, well, I have a printer, and that printer um, has no business phoning home exactly, the internet. Yep. You know, the policy then just becomes the opposite. You know, you're going to permit all RFC 1918 and deny everything else. So we've just we've taken a variety of broad strokes with just those two access control policies um, and done a significant amount of security good across yes, your network yes. without having to go in and say, well, I'm going to do an enormous microseg deployment. Like, exactly. And because those are important um, those are uh, that's an important uh, uh, security policy for a lot of organizations to get to that kind of really deep segmentation. But people have to walk before they run, and you're going to do a lot of good not boiling the ocean, <laughs> but with with sort of normal access control policies. Does that Just make sense? Ba- yeah, yeah, that makes it makes perfect sense, right? Baby steps, right? Yeah. Um, so traditionally, when I've done a deploy uh, ice deployments and they get really granular, mm-hmm. um, I have to have that conversation with someone because um, most of the customers I've deal with, they don't know their data flows. Yeah. They don't know what these these users need access to. So like. Um, there's cases where they want to block everything, but then we have to go backtrack and say, well, okay, we can't block it day one. Yeah. We have to allow it because you don't know that you need access to file shares. You yeah. need access to these servers. And now you're breaking your applications. So there's like a baby step process of identifying that. I, I, I will often ask the question in a slightly different way because um, it, is, it is hard to get into those application flows things. But I'll, I'll ask a customer, I'll say, can you identify a set of IP addresses or a set of subnets that an unauthenticated device should never connect to right and if you then if you then That's configure great. some strong authentication and say okay well these these devices that have authenticated strongly can have basically ubiquitous network access but anything else let's apply a policy that says deny access to our critical infrastructure and sort of the whatever core business services that are the most sensitive and 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 just say two levels of access right yeah, there yeah. okay well that does us a ton of good right there that does it not does. require us to go through and do an enormous amount of homework so there your mean time to value Value is much shorter than yeah. So. You know, you're getting value day one, exactly. And you're also you're getting both value, you're getting everything we talked about already. Yeah. But then you're also getting authentic uh, um, uh, security. Yeah. You're getting um, almost that to the micro segmentation perspective. Yeah, and it's, that's an easy sell to the business owners, right? Yeah. You know, you go to your uh, CIO, CISO, CTO. And they say, well, we ha- we are concerned about this level of access to you know whatever device that happens to be running around. And you say, look, just if we just set up the policy that says only authenticated devices, that we can then have some kind of auditability as to who they were, what IP address they were, where they're connecting from, um, some kind of uh, uh, non repudiation there, that we really have a better sense of what we can let let connect to our critical infrastructure. It does not have to be impossible. Right. No, that's that I should be awesome. easy. Be- I, I should be easy, and I, I think authentication projects in general should be easy. I agree, hundred percent. If you get a better handle on how yeah. to do it, yeah, yeah, and it comes to the design, right? It does. It comes it, to it's, the it's design. design. It's how it's phased yeah. up. It's how it's designed. It's how it's architected. Knowing the, the tools beginning. and what you're going to accomplish, knowing that up front makes the entire process of substantially so much easier. easier. Yes, exactly. Yes. It's exactly. not the tool, right? Yeah. It's, it's how you handle the tool. Exactly. Exactly. Right. 
So let's let's take let's take a quick step back if you don't mind. I like to, yeah. I always like to, to to frame up to the people who don't know ice about what it is yeah, and perfect. what it's not. Because you know, if you look at the Cisco marketing about ice, which which is very slick, right? If I, they make ice seem like it's a lot of things, which is true, but it's important to remember that ice's heredity is a radius server. And you know, that is good and bad in that radius servers are simple and um, they they have they use UDP packets and um, there's not anything magical about it. So when you say, well, how does all of this work? The answer is simple. It's a radius server. Can it go over a WAN link? It's a radius it's server. A radius server. <laughs> is it is it uh, is it sensitive to packet loss? Well, it's running UDP. So the answer is yes. <laughs> you need to know how that kind of works. But is it latency sensitive? Well, maybe not necessarily. So it's important to remember that. So when we talk about how authentication occurs, they're basically all radius authentications. Most of the ICE authentications you see end up being radius OS. And then the enforcement methodologies that we're actually applying to our endpoints are all variations on radius attributes that you're applying to that user session. So if, if, if anything that we kind of talk about sounds exotic, I always recommend people to take a step back and say, well, these are just radius attributes okay. that we're applying in, in a particular way to solve a problem. So it's, it is, it, you can do a lot of stuff with it, but the foundational technology we're using and we're talking about is not exotic or even particularly new. It's only our application of it that is a new way. Yeah. Does that make sense? No, that it? makes perfect sense. Yeah. That's a great, I've never heard it said that way, yeah. honestly. So that's, that's a really great way of saying it and stating it. So again, I apologize for the impromptu question at the beginning. Yeah. Um, so authentication as a whole, right? Um, do we want to kind of dive into maybe some of the authentication methods? For sure. And, and when we talk about radius, again, we're talking about broadly four different or three different kinds of authentications. You know, um, uh, the sort of the most ubiquitous one everyone thinks about is you do a username and password auth. Right, you know that's a normal radius authentication we'd use on a VPN or a wireless connection using MS Chap um, with Peep. A very normal username and password authentication, and and that username and password auth could be you know background to the user that they don't even see it happening in the background from their Windows PC, um, and that could be the computer authentication potentially or. Um, it could be a password they type in their iPhone. You know, um, the sort of another authentication that is increasingly popular is a certificate style authentication, where this you load a certificate onto the endpoints and use that certificate as the credential. So um, uh, people have trouble thinking about how this kind of works, and I kind of use view this as kind of badge access inside your computer. So you have a badge to get into the door to get into your company. Well, your your PC has a certificate; it kind of uses that cert to badge in. Right? That's a great example. That's really it's a great. Uh, analogy. Perfect. And on de and on devices that don't have either of those that still need to get on the network, so you use MAC address bypass, right? So if you plug in a, a printer to your your switch and the switch is ICE controlled, it doesn't necessarily have a password or a certificate. Well, you can just say this MAC address um, or these MAC addresses are allowed on the network because they're printers and people still need to print for some reason or another. Right? Yeah, 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 exactly, <laughs> so right? Those are, the, those are so, the broad three methodologies that we use. And awesome. once we know who you are um, and what you're connecting with based on the profile information, then we can then we start making the actual policy decisions on what we get access to and how you get access to it. Awesome, so. awesome. So is there any kind of design decisions that go into the authentication, like when to use which authentication method oh, versus yeah. when not to? So 
Um, that's an excellent question. And um, there's 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 a couple things. First of all, there is no one size fits all ice deployments. You know, I've never gone into a customer and was rigid with them to say you have to do it any particular yeah. way. Um, and, and so I broadly break down authentication designs two ways. One, when we do authentication for corporate devices, we want to make sure that those corporate devices get a really strong authentication. So we know with a high degree of fidelity that it is a corporate owned asset. And then um, where we devices that are not corporate owned that are sort of BYOD style devices, we would generally have a separate level of authentication that may be less strong. So talking about strong authentication for corporate uh, devices is sort of one soapbox I frequently stand on and talk <laughs> to my customers about. It's one of, one, of, one of my favorite topics, to be honest with you. And, uh, I have a few favorites I'll, I'll go with. Yeah, yeah, with you, sure. Jake. Let's do um, it. You know, so uh, my my favorite methodology of saying what is a corporate device and how do I know what it is is to say I'm going to issue certificates from uh, an enterprise certificate authority um, to my uh, corporate laptops. And I'll say this certificate template will only ever be used to issue certificates to these type of devices. And if I come in and I see the ICE authentication coming in from a device that was issued that style certificate, um, and I'm confident that it has things like full encryption on it yeah. and other security best practices, I have a high degree of confidence that thing that's authenticated um, is a corporate asset. You know, and I can give it in many ways ubiquitous network access, lots of network access. I don't have to worry about doing a lot of blocking on it, okay. right? Um, uh, the good news about ETLS so certificate style authentication is that it's broadly supported across lots of endpoints. So Windows from you know Windows XP on, God forbid if anyone has those <laughs> left, uh, you can issue certificates through uh, MDMs and things like JAMP to OSX devices pretty effectively. Uh, if you want to know how to do that, I recommend just Googling Microsoft Certificate Authority OSX Certificate Deployment, and you'll see lots of information on how to do that. Um, uh, uh, and and it's 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 a very efficient authentication and it doesn't require you know backend password lookups into a directory exactly. store. It's very quick. So that that's kind of my top level favorite. And that's cheap to do to be honest with you because once you have an enterprise certificate authority, certificates end up being functionally free. Yeah. And if you want, if you if you don't have a CA and you or you want to do uh, something a little different, you know, micro uh, Cisco has um, a functionality built into the AnyConnect supplicant, the AnyConnect NAM called Eap Chaining that lets you do um, very strong computer authentications along with the user authentication at the same time to give you um, a, a different level of uh, policy flexibility that it may even be appropriate for a, uh, a design pod at a later, later date about yeah, how to yeah, actually totally. do that. Um, but you, but, uh, but with, with AnyConnect, the advantage is you don't have to push certificates and you don't have, and you can still get user level visibility okay. and apply, you know, very flexible um, uh, enforcement methodologies there. Uh, the, the only challenge kind of with, any connect AC is that Apple has not opened enough up uh, the um, the underlying OSX bits to actually provide uh, that functionality in OSX. So it is Windows only. Windows uh, only. But like okay. a lot of our customers have a lot of Windows. Yep. Um, and then the last one is a machine peep authentication. So if you say I can't issue certificates, Andy, or and I, I'm also allergic to any connect for whatever reason, <laughs> uh, if you don't want to load any more software in your laptops, I say okay, look, you can run the Windows supplicant, um, and you just reconfigure peep. MSTAP authentication to only ever use the um, machine accounts, and that'll give you a fairly high fidelity authentication. And sort of, if if we do um, one or more of these authentication methodologies across your enterprise, um, it, it'll take us a couple of days to get your PCs all authenticated like this. 
And suddenly, we know with a high degree of fidelity what all of your core PCs are, and then by definition, everything else is not. Exactly. Right? You're ruling everything else out. You're, exactly. you're putting everything that is yours, company-owned assets, mm-hmm. in this group, subset, mm-hmm. and everything else that's not in that group is now not yours. Exactly. And, you know, it is not unreasonable to say to your end users, you can bring your iPhones or Androids in and do uh, Wi-Fi data offload to let them say, I don't, you don't have to chew up all your cell yeah. cell data yeah. gigabytes or gigabytes. Yeah, gigabytes. <laughs> there you go. Look at that. Little uh, plug. And uh, you don't have to do all that. Uh, so, you, uh, and, but, so you can give them ubiquitous internet access, um, but you don't have to give them access to all of your internal stuff. I mean, you can might say, well, what does an iPhone actually need then? And you can apply policy to say they only get access to exchange Citrix, the internet. DNS, DHP. Yeah, that's it. that's it. And they don't need access to anything else. They don't have to go to printers. They don't yeah. have to go to, you may not need access to any of your you know, um, ERP uh, stuff. You, yeah. just, you can make those decisions then. Yeah. Um, and you can torture users or be as nice <laughs> to them as you'd like, depending on what your requirements are, yeah, right? right. Um, and then the only question is sort of how you then apply those policies once you've kind of defined those things, right? And then the, the policy application uh, ends up being kind of like the the next interesting layer of the onion to okay. apply. All right. um, so uh, when we we did ICE together, we did uh, wired and wireless implementation. Yes. When I talk to you in detail about my favorite and least favorite methodologies of doing enforcement, so um, I'm saying enforcement isn't necessarily just denying everything that a device has access to, because there certainly that is involved, but also just changing a little bit about how it may access a network, right? And so, um, and these different options you have for enforcement methodologies vary based on the media they're connecting with, right? So media would be things like wide wireless and VPN, right? And, And why do we have different methodologies to do enforcement of wired wireless and VPN because the nature of connectivity to wired wireless VPN Except is just different. You're connecting different ways. So exactly. you have different ways of enforcement, right? Exactly. Um, and the different, different network access devices we're connecting with do work different. Switches are different from wireless controllers. Exactly. And VPN concentrators are different from wireless controllers. So it should not be a surprise to any listener here that there are things that are, you can still strive to apply the same kind of access to a user however they connect, but the way you you apply that action is broadly different, right? So you just said something that's key though. You can yeah. apply the same level of access to the user no matter what connectivity model yeah. or method that they're utilizing. You just got to be smart enough to apply that same policy a different way. Yeah, okay. It's not a big deal, that's right? That's awesome. It's easy, right? It's easy. You just, I mean, and, and, and most of the things that we're working with um, work the same. So yeah. let's let's break it down. Uh, where do you want to start? You want to start about why, wired or wireless or VPN? Let's do wired. Wired is easy. Yeah, it's an yeah, easy one. I, well, they're all, it's all easy. So let's... I'll, I'll say this. You know, when I walk into a customer and we're going we're gonna to look to do a ICE deployment and they're doing it across their various media, right? Yeah. Wired, wireless, VPN. The one they're always the most nervous about is wired access. <laughs> and in my experience, it's always the easiest it's one. Always the it's, easiest. The mis- it's the misplaced worry. It's really not so bad. And I it's per, it, per port. You can it is per, per port. port. So it's really easy. I mean, it's. And if you ever run into a jam because it's enforced per port and you need to take ice off a port, you just take ice I off know. the port. Don't just, sweat it, right? Just backtrack to the config and yeah. there you're good. But so the enforcement methodologies we have are not rocket science. We we have two basic ones. We have VLAN override. So we can, depending on what a device is, we can change its VLAN. Um, or we can apply what's called the downloadable ACL. 
Um, sometimes called dynamic, it's not really dynamic. Downloadable ACL is the real term and the one I, I try to stick with because the, the, the ACL lives in the ICE. It lives in the radius server um, and is downloaded to that user session in real time right after they get their accept access authentication. And um, the downloadable ACL is by far my favorite. <laughs> and the reason it's important, I like it too, so. it's, it's easy. Um, so there, but it does have advantages and disadvantages to go through. So it is a stateless access control list that is applied yeah. to that edge port. And there, one of the reasons that I love it is because it because the ACL is configured and lives on your ICE server, you don't have to manage 500 yes. different ACLs across your switch infrastructure. And if you run a large enterprise with hundreds and hundreds of switches, it would be functionally impossible to easily manage a diverse number of ACLs across all your switches. No, I, would, I have changes. a perfect use case. I was helping out a K-12 huge school district. I'm not going to name any customer names. And they had over 100 ACLs, and we got them down to three. Oh, that's great. You know, and it's yeah. all nice, all managed and nice. Yeah. Like, you know, on the wired side. Wireless yeah. is different, a little yeah. different, but wired side. So really, really good use cases there. And if you want to make a change to the downloadable ACL, you make the change in ICE, you press save, and the next time the uh, person authenticates, they pull down that new the access updated control. One, right? yeah. Now, the, the disadvantage is that these ACLs are stateless. Yeah. Okay, whatever. I, I can live with that all well, day. It's not a firewall, right? It's and not it's, a firewall. It's a switch. Let's think about what it is. Um, and you cannot use what Cisco will call an advanced operator. Uh, that includes um, a time range inside your uh, your ACL, and you cannot do logging on those yeah, ACLs. Yeah, yeah. And so people often immediately say, oh, I, I really want to do logging. And I'm actually broadly sympathetic to that. <laughs> but it's important to remember that the downloadable ACL functionality um, – is applied in the TCAM space on your switch, meaning it's applied in hardware, um, and it does not affect the switch's performance otherwise. So you're still running at line rates, and be, there's just no spot in that TCAM to do logging. So I understand we all like ACL logging. There's a lot to like about ACL logging, but you don't get it. Yeah, yeah, no, no, it's fine. I mean, we just got really technical for a minute. We're talking about TCAM, yeah. and this the memory space for logging is just not there. True. Um, but I mean, a lot of people want to log all the denies, and that would yeah. that would destroy the TCAM. I mean, that yep. would totally just remove it all. All the all the, uh, the excess TCAM that's there would be gone. The advantage of doing it like this in hardware is you have full switch performance. Yeah, exactly. Lots, lots of love about that. So, uh, and so I like that because you know these ACLs are then become very intuitive. You know, the limitations are straightforward. Um, and uh, they can easily apply, you know, the cr a, a lot of different access control policies you might want to apply to your edge switch. Uh, the other, the other thing is, you know, VLAN override, um, you know, ends up being fairly popular. Uh, my least favorite for a couple yeah, of reasons, though, and you know, it's not because that I. I necessarily think it's a bad idea, but changing a VLAN does not in inherently change the security access restriction on an ed edge device. All you're doing is changing probably the IP sub that they're connecting from. Yep. Um, and that to me can, has a variety of usability challenges. So one is if you start on VLAN A and, it, and ICE realizes it should be on VLAN B, it has to change that VLAN and does not the endpoint does not necessarily realize that that VLAN is changing and has to refresh its IP address. Um, uh, 
that can be uh, significantly detrimental to the user's experience. Yep. And I just don't, and, and if, a, if a person then says, okay, I do need to apply access per VLAN, and you have 500 sites where you have to apply SVACLs, all those yes. 500 sites, and that can be administratively burdensome when you have all Daunting. these places to touch, yes. right? And that's where I think downloadable ACL you know, really shines. Now, there are places where you do need VLAN override, um, and in that case, you know, paths. Uh, if you have to do path segmentation, you know, you need to have different source VLANs. Use that kind of functionality thoughtfully. I will say one thing that if you do have to do VLAN override, one of my favorite ice tricks is to do the VLAN override by the VLAN name. Oh yeah, yeah. You can have different VLAN IDs. So if you have a printer VLAN at all 30 of your sites and every site has a different VLAN number, um, that's fine. Just name them all the same. And I have followed that since the day we met. <laughs> Somebody listens to me. Yes. I finally found one person one, who one. listened to my advice. Yes. Because it makes it so much easier. You yeah. can do different VLAN IDs and have it very, very systematically organized. Yes. And it just be the same name. If it's voice, if it's data, yeah. whatever, if it's a security VLAN, it just makes it so much easier. Yeah. Um, what I do, I would say on the VLAN override personally, yeah. I'm not a big fan. Um, I've learned over the years, I love, I love to decouple that, that inherent reliance on, I need to be on this VLAN. I need to be on this subnet, right? We're talking of a, a software defined era where mm -hmm. that stuff shouldn't matter anymore. Yeah. Now, it does matter in some, some venue, uh, some, uh, verticals, um, and some organizations. If you start getting into the federal government and whatnot, where you have to be on a VLAN, uh, a spec per VLAN for separate, purpose but yep. in most cases now i love to decouple that because now it doesn't matter you're going to get the download acl mm -hmm. you're going to get the access you're supposed to get and that's it that's it and and it, i don't care what ip you're on what switch you're on what vlan you're on i good to go ip address should be irrelevant exactly. to your security access levels yeah yeah i agree with that and really for me i i if, if a customer says, I need path separation for things like PCI endpoints or federal customers who need you know that differentiated access, then the answer is like, yeah, VLAN override is the right tool for that job. But just because you have to, seg to separate different le uh, levels of access does not mean you have to change VLANs. Yeah, yeah. So, nope. uh, on the wireless side, it's a different story. You have different level, you have different client behaviors. Okay. Um, and we've got different tools, right? So, for traditional Cisco networks, you don't have downloadable ACLs on an airspace controller. You've got airspace ACLs. So uh, with with that, there are different limitations you deal with. You know, you have um, inbound and outbound ACE entries you have to deal with there. Um, the ACLs can be comparatively inflexible. Um, not to say that I don't like them. They certainly have their use yeah. case. But we, I end up doing more VLAN override um, on the wireless side. So we just said uh, how much we dislike <laughs> yeah. VLAN override on the wired. I'll make a great case to say that, you know, um, separation of endpoints per use case in the wireless side by VLAN makes a lot more sense. And that's easy to do because if you have a large head-end controller, um, you only have one spot to yeah. manage all these VLANs. Exactly. And you can then manage a large IP space. You know, a modern system controller effectively manages broadcast between ARP, DHCP, and all the normal stuff there. You have less disadvantage to having, you know, really large IP spaces. You know, Cisco's, Cisco Live here, if you check your... Um, uh, the uh, the SSID you're using, they have a slash 16 yeah. as the client IP yeah, space. Yeah. It's that's, huge. That's not unusual for me to configure at a university. Same, uh, I've done same. a couple of universities, and we end up with a student population on one big VLAN, yep. right? One and, huge network. And if, and, and if you have you know you know a university level SSID and you want to segment students and faculty, we'll put them on different VLANs, and that's probably totally fine with big yeah, VLANs yeah. on the wireless side. But there's more you can do on the wireless beyond just ACL. And um, 
uh, and VLAN. You know, there's other attributes that Cisco provides us that we can go in and fiddle with. That ICE can help provide policy. And we said before, you could you, ICE can change more than just your security access level. Yep. You know, one of the, my favorite things to, to fiddle with is to change the QoS level oh. and the uh, and rate limiting parameters. <laughs> so based on the user's Active Directory group, you know, as I want to dive in a little bit, you could apply an ICE policy that says, you know, this this user group gets um, only a certain number of kilobits per second on their wireless. Yep, yep. So, you know, I love to rib on sales guys in my company. <laughs> they'll, they'll, they will attest to that if you ever talk to a Presidio account manager. Um, I do not miss an opportunity to hassle them. And, you know, if I were, if I were the IT guy here, I'd make sure that I maxed out the sales security group and active directory at 764 kilobits per second, right? <laughs> um, and, but more broadly, you could say if you have mixed use cases on one WLAN, um, mixed use cases. Thinking, I'm thinking like a, a IP Wi-Fi phone, you know, your uh, um, 7925 phone yep. or a, one of the new uh, 8800 series phones. Um, you can say if they, if you, if a phone is authenticating the network like that, um, you want to make sure it has a platinum level of yes. access. And if you happen to have end users attaching to that same SSID, you want to make sure that they have a lower level of QoS access so that there's plenty of space for the IP phone to run. But if your email is just a touch more sluggish, most of us would never know the difference. Never have any idea. Exactly. That's the case. Or you could downgrade interns or specific groups to different levels of QoS too. Funny, you usually want to be nice to interns because you want them to stick around sometimes, (laughs) right? But yeah, mess with the sales guys. That's what you want to do. Mess with the sales guys. That's awesome. Um, so, uh, in terms of uh, you know VPN, you know, there's there's just a couple of other options there. Also, you know you can do downloadable ACLs on VPN. Also, so they um, work on they do work okay. on VPN. They work different, remember? Because uh, one is you know if you're using a Cisco ASA, it's, it's these are Cisco products, right? So Cisco ASA will take downloadable ACLs. You have to be thoughtful about subnet syntax. Right, because inverse subnets yeah. work on iOS devices, and you can use regular subnet notation on your um, connectivity with um, uh, your sub uh, your ACLs um, on your uh, your Cisco ASA. And also, uh, we I, I made a I, I kind of huffed for a sec about downloadable ACLs on wireless being uh, sorry on wired being stateless. Well, an ASA is stateful, so yeah. your downloadable ACL is suddenly stateful. suddenly stateful. Now it's stateful, right? stateful. Isn't that nice? Yeah. Do you have the same limitations on the ASA um, side as you did on the iOS side with um, logging? No. no. Uh, so you do not. You, you do not. Right? You do not have that. The uh, it, it it can be challenging to figure out which ACL is doing the logging because the way the the downloadable ACL uh, is a, a named inside uh, the Cisco ASA, but you can do logging on that. To be honest with you, typically I don't bother. Yep. Right. Um. But there are certainly more options. Uh, you can also do just much longer ACLs. Yeah. You know, you can. There are there are scalability limitations on how long the ACLs could be on a Cisco switch because again we're applying them in hardware. Uh, no such limitation exists really inside a uh, Cisco ASA. I mean, sure, but I, I factually know that there is somewhere a limit to the number yeah, of yeah, ACL resource, entries, right? but we're talking about many thousands of ACL yeah, entries. Yeah, it's very I, different. I bumped into a customer just two hours ago who I did an ASA implementation with, with ICE, and he said that they they, they just surpassed 11,000 ACL entries wow. on their, wow. their uh, 4,100 <laughs> um, uh, ASA pair. Wow. And it's still chugging on strong, right? That's awesome. It hasn't crashed. Otherwise, they would have called me to complain. Yeah, yeah. Right? Right? <laughs> right Fix it. Yep. So um, uh, one thing we didn't talk about a little bit earlier is kind of different 
design options um, in terms of how you, once we once you authenticate and you provided levels of access um, to all your corporate devices, uh, different strategies you could say about how you want to allow your BYODs in the network, yeah. right? Um, so we talked a little bit before about PEEP being sort of the traditional way of connecting devices on there. Um, PEEP being username and password at 802.1x authentication. Okay. Um, you can still do that with BYODs. And, so, and, so PEEP would be, PEEP MS Chat version 2 would be more like for the BYOD side, and then EPTLS would be more like for your corporate owned access, Absolutely. Right? Okay. Absolutely. And that way, if you just say, look, if you've got a, certi a certificate authentication, an EPTLS authentication, give them full internal access on the internal yeah. VLAN, right? right? And if you have a person coming in with a username and password authentication, I don't even care what the device is. I don't have to worry about profiling necessarily. Yeah, yeah. I could profile it. I'm sure I will, but I don't have to worry about it. Is I can put that on the BYOD VLAN exactly with that different level of access. Uh, if you're, if you, some people don't love PEEP for methodological reasons that we don't have to go into here. Uh, but you don't. I'm not married to any specific yeah, design, yeah, I'm not right? Even, so. You know, you could all, you could say, um, you know, you could do a web authentication. You know, yeah. ICE provides for web authentications for guest levels of access, and you could say, well, that guest SSID. You could say, you know, let guest users log in. We could also so say let AD users log yep. in. And if you could, you could just say AD users will let the log, log into that guest portal. Um, and when they uh, just, when, when you have BYODs, tell all your users to join that guest SSID. And don't even worry about it, yep. right? Yep. Easy way around it. And if you say, look, I do really love EPTLS authentication. Because there's a lot to love about it, right? It's yeah. an efficient authentication. Um, and it's uh, a very secure. And the user experience for that ends up being quite good. Because things like password rotation suddenly don't affect you. They don't affect right? you anymore. Because yeah, yep. you're using your token. You're yeah. using your certificate. Your certificate, your badge. Um, exactly. Right. You're badging in the wireless yep. network. Yep. You're badging right in. ICE provides a methodology to connect BYODs with EPTLS. That's called native subbooking provisioning. This is one of the cool things that you'll see in the Cisco slide decks that ICE really <laughs> shines at. So what can happen is, is you, you can you can have the uh, devices, which in this case the supported ones are Windows, OS X, uh, Android, and um, iOS devices, um, can uh, log into a portal, and ICE can provision two things to them. They can provision them a certificate, um, install a certificate on that endpoint, and it configure the supplicant, meaning the SSID configuration can be, can be configured to use that certificate to authenticate. So if you want BYODs to still use certificates, and you don't want them to touch um, the same CA and the same certificate yep. template used for your corporate devices, you can do that. And yep. ICE provides for that um, to give you additional flexibility because um, we don't want anyone to have you know, a limitation on choices. You can use your enterprise CA to do that is certificate issuance through a protocol called SCEP, um, uh, which is a simple certificate enrollment protocol. Um, or ICE has its own built-in CA. Exactly. So you yeah. have your choice. Um, if you're, if you want to ask my opinion, because I have loads of opinions, <laughs> yeah. uh, it, the built-in ICA is entirely sufficient. That's what for I that. use. Yeah, That's works I use built-in ICA for yeah. all um, BYOD. And that way, so. you just say if the certificate were issued from the corporate CA, well, that certificate was is good for a corporate device. If the certificate is issued from the ICA, exactly. it's a BYOD, and you have all the advantages. Of and both you can worlds. easily dis differentiate between the two very quickly yeah. in your policies, and then your author authorization, yeah. or your, your, I guess your access author permission. The only downside to this design um, is that if you have a diverse user population with devices that don't conform to sort of the normal list that I just told told you yeah. about. So if I'm going to walk into your organization and say, uh, Zig, you know, I don't use Android. I have my own 
you know, Haiku OS PC yeah, yeah. and I forked my own browser that was based on, you know, uh, 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 Netscape from 12 years ago. Making <laughs> it, your own thing It's happen. not going to work with NSP. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. so if you, if you, so if you have that situation, you have sort of a really diverse, you know, this happens a lot in universities, you know, NSP may or may not be the, the right protocol, okay. for, right choice for you. But, um, you know, I'll tell you, Presidio uses it internally and I still get on the Wi-Fi at work. Oh yeah, it yeah. does work. All right. What do, you, what do you do around that? Is there any solution around that um, when it does happen at the universities? Uh, 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 it's a bear. It's a bear. Yeah, it's yeah. a bear. You, I mean, you have to have the courage of your convictions. Yeah. If you say I'm going to do NSP and put uh, certificates in these devices, you just have to make sure that you tell your student and faculty populations that this is the supported numbers. Of de- these, these are the supported versions of devices that will let on the Wi-Fi. Okay. Uh, if you don't have the courage of your convictions where you can lay down the law, yeah. then you can't do it. It's not a technical limitation in that regard. It's the what you what your organization will tolerate. And wow. in that regard, you know, PEEP is still a valid option. Yeah, Let yeah, them do yeah. PEEP. Yeah, it just Hands puts, off, it puts right? your differentiator within your rule sets at a different level. Yeah. If you can't isolate between what authentication method you're utilizing or your connectivity method you're utilizing, yeah. um, then you have to find some other non-common factor yeah. to, to sort by, filter by. One thing I often talk to people about with these, these different options, if you say, you know, I have a set of OSX PCs that I'm going to do EAP TLS with, but Andy, I really like, people say, Andy, I really like EAP chaining. Can I do that in the Windows PCs while I do uh, EAP TLS and OSX? You can mix and match any of these designs yeah. and styles if you want to. I'm not going to tell you how to live your life. You can do all of them. And if you say, I do have a diverse user population, I want to do NSP for most of my BYODs where I can because we have good reasons to do that, but we have the subset of users who cannot, we'll let them web off. Yeah, let them web go. off. Right? You don't have to do one thing. You can solve different problems different ways. And I just, just writing a couple of additional rules. You know, we're talking about, you know, each one of these potential, uh, um, authentication methodologies is only a small number of ICE rules to write. Yeah. And ICE can, it can scale to hundreds and hundreds of rules. So there's, there's no reason that you have to hold yourself to one particular design. And if you change your mind later, you just have to write the rules and have the gumption to get your clients yeah. to behave, right? Well, I mean, this goes back to it's what's the business intent? What's the, what's the priorities of the business? What are your outcomes? What's your expected outcome, right? Mm-hmm. And, and ICE is, is a tool, in my opinion, that can get a business to a certain state. It can. Um, you know, and, and so what we talk about here as a whole, all of these are design decisions that have to be made or can be made, design options, let's say. Um, and it, you have to just map them back to your business requirements, constraints, yeah. and drivers. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. Yeah. There is one other thing that we haven't talked about, Zig. That's oh. the, always the elephant in the room. You know what the elephant in the room always is what? when we talk about ICE design? It's trust sec. Oh, yeah. The big, the big trust sec. <laughs> you know, the, my, the, the question I always get at the beginning when I start talking trust sec is – People ask me, well, what is TrustSec? I can't make heads or tails of it from the marketing materials. And the answer is, is that, well, there's a few things. TrustSec can be different things to different people in some ways. And it is a, it is a set of technologies that Cisco has created for us that can do different things for us. So I like to think of TrustSec in three parts. Um, sort of the, the, the most basic part of it is a tag. Okay. SGT, secure group tag. And so every ICE authorization results, we can put a tag on an endpoint. And that tag can be applied at the ingress point that the person connects to the network. So the tags can be, this thing is a BYOD. 
This thing is a PCI device. This yep. thing is an employee. This thing is a piece of network infrastructure or a printer or a whatever. Whatever tag. Whatever Arbitrarily, whatever kind of tag you want to apply it, there's a whole bunch that are canned in Cisco ISE, or you could make yourself hundreds more depending on what you want. Okay. Yeah. The second component of uh, TrustSec um, that is sort of in many ways one of the, the more complicated ones is the SGACL, uh, that secure group access control list. And that is cre- um, the, creating a policy inside your network access devices to do segmentation based on that tag information. Which tags are allowed to talk to which other tags and how and why. Okay. And the last component that people look at is MaxSec. You know, you can actually have ICE um, let switches negotiate uh, there are uplinks and downlinks with each other, and then do link level encryption between switches. Uh, that one is still, in my practice, pretty uncommon. Um, but it's cool, and it certainly is available to you. <laughs> so if you, in the, the, this kind of use case for that is, is if you have, if you don't control the fiber plant between all your IDFs, yep, and yep. you're concerned about someone, you know, peeking into your fiber cable in the middle with a tap, well, this can prevent that man in the middle. Yep, so exactly, yeah. I've done MaxSec manual MaxSec, yeah. not using IIS or authentication source, just doing manual with just Mac a PSK. Set. Yep, you yep. got it. Yep. Absolutely on, on the command line, you got it. That's and that's and it's funny. Um, if I think about my security implementations, I, I see an astonishingly few number of users doing that. I've, yep. I've been asking myself more and more lately why I don't see it as much, uh, just because I think that it's, it's, it, it works pretty well and it's pretty cool. And if if you're concerned about that level of security between your core infrastructure devices, yeah. that makes a lot of sense. Exactly. And it's supported much more broadly in your data center infrastructure. To go off in a little yes. tangent here, you know, <laughs> if you have you know Nexus core devices in a data center in a colo, maybe in two different cages, well, you can you can max like across your VPC peer links. Did you exactly, know that? Yes. Yeah. And, and, and really provide yourself deep security at a high level of performance in your data center. With exactly. Company. Well, MaxSec is a great technology, and yeah. that's a totally off topic, really, but yeah. um, it is a great technology. Um, I've deployed it a couple times, personally. Yeah. Um, never used the TrustSec, or never used ICE as a whole to do the authentication piece of it, though. Sure. So, so a couple things. Let's talk about what you can do with the first two, SGT and SGCL. Yeah. So um, SGT is... is there's, if you're starting an ICE implementation today, there, in my opinion, is no reason to not apply tags to everything. You do not have to make any decisions based on those tags, but once you have those tags, you can make decisions later. So okay. in all of my new ICE implementations, I tag everything with Day something. One. Day one, gotcha. start out with tags. Uh, you don't have to configure HGACLs, and that could be where the challenge is, because not every Cisco switch supports doing that level of um, uh, that level of access control security. So let's talk about it a little bit. So if you look at the marketing materials and the configuration guides, you'll see a matrix. Okay. A matrix looks like a big tic-tac-toe type puzzle, right? So yeah. you, um, you have on the X and Y axis all of the tags, and um, the that that those uh, that grid is where you configure different ACLs that says when the employee tag wants to talk to the PCI tag, what does that ACL look like? And that ACL is configured just like stateless access control policy would be configured, permits and denies to say this can be configured, uh, can be allowed, this can be denied. Um, that. Matrix is configured inside ICE and pushed down to any compatible device that can do that SGACL enforcement. So 
what kinds of devices can and cannot provide that SGL level of enforcement? That's a great question yeah, for you, right? Yeah, yeah, so yeah, I'm well, glad you asked. Yeah, right, right. I totally if, asked, right? If you have <laughs> older switches, you know, 3560s, um, 2960, even modern 2960s cannot do this level of yeah. enforcement. And you can't do this in your wireless controller either. But modern MDF style switches, your 6800 VSS, your Nexus 9Ks, um, uh, Cat 9Ks, Cat 3850s, um, sort of any sort of modern, mid or high level switches that you yep. put in either the IDFs or the MDFs. MDFs, they'll support this. Okay. So um, uh, you can configure this kind of level of enforcement sort of deep in the network. It doesn't have to, it can be all the way at the edge if you want it to be, but it does not have to be. So you can put the enforcement point right all the way to the edge, or yeah. you can put it like in a central spot in yep. the data center or in the core of the network and have it there. Exactly. Okay. And if you're as you're doing this, remember um, this is independent of your downloadable ACL. Okay, policy. I was gonna ask, what's yeah. the what's the difference between a downloadable ACL and an SG ACL? Uh, it's it's so the downloadable ACL is applied on the ingress to the switch, and it is a very normal access control policy. There's no grid, right? Okay. There's no grid, and the SGECL is a grid, and the actual policy enforcement is applied at the egress. So if you're looking at sort of the the packet life, the packet flow inside your switch, the packet gets processed the ingress. It is you make a forwarding decisions on it, and then it happens to be dropped in the egress. Okay. So that can be important to remember based on like how the switch is performing and how the behavior of the the packets are going to be okay. inside. Yeah, yeah, that's good. But that's how it kind of works. Um, and so it is. It is applied independence yeah, of that yeah. that uh, of that uh, edge downloadable ACL okay. configuration. So you could still be in edge monitor mode, and you can have a SGACL policy in the core of your network. Awesome applied. So, and if you happen to have old switches that even that can't even understand SGTs. So you, you can, there's a there's another methodology that you can use to propagate the IP to tag data called SXP. Um, if, if you end up having to pass you know, these packets across WAN links um, where, the, where, the, where the tags that get stripped by devices that are not necessarily Cisco or older switches that don't necessarily understand this and will, that will drop the tags, um, the the ICE can propagate all the IP to tag uh, metadata mappings so that uh, if that kind of thing were to happen, you can still apply that deep level of policy. Okay. So um, it's not that hard, okay. you know. Uh, yeah, I ask customers just a couple of questions when they want to, when we talk about doing TrustSec. One is, do you have the hardware that can basically do it? Yep. You know, I don't want to go to a place that has no hardware that can do this. Right. That's the limiting factor is probably the hardware. The Honestly, hardware. it's exactly. nothing else. It doesn't seem like it's difficult at all. It actually seems it's possibly easier than the I would say legacy downloadable ACLs. In many ways, it could be. It you provides know? you a different level of functionality. And the other part is, I, I ask them. Um, can you articulate a policy that can be implemented and applied with SGACLs? Yeah. Because yeah. I want to do it for a reason. I, I don't do these things for no reason. Exactly. And so if the customer says, yes, I have the hardware, and yes, I have a business requirement that can be solved with SG, SGACLs, well, the answer is let's go. Let's, let's do, do it. it. Yeah. Let's design it, yeah. right? <laughs> do it, design it, and implement yeah. it, right? Yeah. So I'm going to wrap it up, I think, today. Is there any last-minute comments, concerns, questions you want to kind of – no, today? I appreciate you having me on the pod here, Zay. Yeah, yeah. I'm definitely a fan of the pod. And awesome. uh, I, I love seeing what you do out here on the, well, the internet. Well, right? I appreciate it. Um, where can the listeners reach out to you if they want? Are you on LinkedIn? I'm Twitter? on LinkedIn. Find me, Andy Richter. And uh, if, you, if, you, if you want to buy the book, I'd appreciate it. My kids' <laughs> college fund will appreciate it. And, uh, you know, looking forward to talking to anybody out there who wants to talk about ICE. Awesome, awesome. Um, so again, everyone, I will put it in the show notes. Um, I'll put all of Andy's contact information in the show notes, his book, um, and and hopefully in the future we'll do some more shows. I think I'd it's, love I to. think it's great content. So um, 
Well, friends, nerds, geeks out there, that's going to wrap up today's show. Um, you can find the show notes at zigbits.tech slash 29 um, once this airs. And uh, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, you can put them in the show notes or you can email us at feedback at zigbits.tech. Keep listening. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with another episode. Bye for now.